And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We continue our series looking back at 2001. Five upsets in 2001. We wrote about this on The Athletic that changed the course of college football history. And this one that we're going to talk about today might have been the most easy to say, here's when it started. Here's when that thing that we still talk about now started. And it is Nebraska going to Colorado on Black Friday 2001, number one in the BCS standings, and getting destroyed. It was one of those where if you didn't watch the game and you saw the score, you would have assumed that they just transposed the scores. That, that Nebraska really won, and there's no way Colorado did this to Nebraska. We bring in our Nebraska beat writer, Mitch Sherman. 62 points, like 62 to 36. That's how Nebraska beats people. Like the, the idea of somebody doing that to Nebraska was mind-blowing. Yeah, that's how 2001 Nebraska, 2000, 1999, and all through the 90s and 80s and 70s, that's how Nebraska beat people. Absolutely. The 62 points at that at that time were the most ever scored on Nebraska in 110 years of playing football. So that tells you something right there. And, and you know, the first thing in starting to report this story that I found really interesting and didn't remember as well as I'm sure I knew at the time, because I was I covered this game. I was at this game. Um, as a writer for the Omaha World Herald, and it was fun to go back and read the stories that I wrote from from uh, from Boulder on that day. But when the shot was fresh, rem- <laughs> yes, right, right, and it was such a crazy thing to see then. Now, if you see Nebraska give up sixty two points, it's like, well, that's just an Ohio State game, but, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, but this this started in- the downward trend. It did, it did, and what was insane to 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 recall is the state of the Colorado-Nebraska series at the time that this game occurred. For Nebraska, Colorado was kind of another pushover on the way to getting to the Big 12 championship game, and the Huskers presumed that was going to be a rematch with Oklahoma. And there had been a great Oklahoma game that provided Eric Crouch with his Heisman Trophy-winning signature moment in October in Lincoln. So Nebraska's cruising to... Texas uh, to the Cowboy Stadium, the old Cowboy Stadium in Irving for the Big 12 championship, ready to uh, to take down Oklahoma again. And there's this speed bump against Colorado, whom Nebraska has beaten 10 years in a row. But for Colorado, this was the mountaintop. The Buffs had lost to Nebraska by a total of 15 points in the five years previous to this game. Um, field goals that went four Nebraska in 2000 and against Colorado in 99 that could have turned that would have turned the outcomes of those two games at the end. 
So Colorado was just like ultra energized for this game against Nebraska. And I think that's important to know when you go back and look at the context of 62-36. Well, and the other thing is Colorado is not a bad program at this time. Colorado is a, is a nope. consistently good program, consistently the second best program in the Big 12 North. This is, you know, Gary Pinkle has not, I believe he, that's his first year at Missouri. He hasn't gotten them going yeah. yet. Uh, the, the, the Kansas team that would, that would put the stake in Bill Callahan at Nebraska, you know, none of that has happened yet. So really it is Nebraska and Colorado and then Bill Snyder's Kansas state teams at at the top of the big 12 North. Yeah. Kansas state peaked in 98 really with, with Michael Bishop and that team that, that should have played for a national championship could have played for a national championship and the, and the Wildcats were still good in 99, 2001. Um, but yeah, Colorado was, was right there. And Gary Barnett had been a, a um, an assistant coach under Bill McCartney, the legendary Colorado coach from the eighties and nineties who made Nebraska the red letter opponent for the buffs and circled them on the calendar. And Barnett was at Northwestern and then came back to Colorado in 99 and lost to Nebraska in his first two years with with uh, as the head coach in excruciating fashion. And Colorado had a bunch of seniors on that team, including Daniel Graham, the tight end who had a huge game in, in 01. Um, he was the 02 first round draft choice of the, of the New England Patriots. Bobby Pesavento was the fill-in quarterback. He was a senior in, on that team. And then a stable of running backs who were who were outstanding. Um, four guys who could all run the ball and were big and physical. And Chris Brown was somewhat unknown at the time of that Nebraska-Colorado game when it, when it kicked off. But he was a known commodity by the end of that game and then yeah. went on to have a great 0-2 season and, and, and was um, – you know, he led the NFL in yards per carry with the with the Titans in in 04. So there was talent for sure. A couple of great offensive linemen on the right side of that line for CU. So Nebraska should not have been taking Colorado lightly if, if uh, in fact, it was. Nor should Nebraska have been really surprised by any of this. And I, one of the things I thought was great in your story, you talked to George Darlington, who was the, the secondary coach at Nebraska at the time, and he explained exactly how they screwed up defensively, that – They'd been doing one thing all year on defense. It was working great. And they said, you know what? These guys are too big up front. And if you watch the game, there's a lot of double tights. You know, they're they're just plowing over Nebraska. And so Nebraska, instead of playing a 4-3, took out a linebacker, added a D lineman, and just got rolled. And, and, you know, it is they didn't adjust at all. It, It was like they couldn't do anything to stop it. Yeah, they adjusted when it was 35 to three in the second quarter. And another thing that I, I didn't remember about this game um, with the kind of accuracy that I would have thought is how it became close in the third quarter. And Nebraska got it to 42 to 30 and had the ball with a chance to go in and make it a one score game. And there's a great comment from Eric Crouch, the quarterback from Nebraska in this piece that he said, uh, where he said, you know, Colorado was the kind of team in my career where they were the best team in the world that you'd ever played for two quarters. And then they were the worst team that you'd ever (laughs) played for two quarters. So he expected if Nebraska could get it close and, you know, could put the pressure on CU that Colorado would fold in the second half and Nebraska could come back and win. So even at 35 to three, 
they felt okay, not good, but they felt, they felt like this game was winnable. And it turned out that they were somewhat right. Um, but Nebraska didn't, didn't have the knockout punch that too much had been taken out of them by that first half to, uh, you know, to deliver the, the real blow that was needed in the second half and, and totally turn the, the momentum in that thing. But yeah, on the defensive change, uh, Darlington was pretty upfront about that. And he said it was his, it was his idea in the off, they had an off week after playing Kansas state, uh, before the CU game. So they had extra time to think about it. And they looked at Colorado on film and saw how big they were up front with their running backs and their offensive line and thought, you know, we need to be, to be bigger up front too. So take out the weak side linebacker, put in a, um, an extra D tackle and, you know, let's go get them. And there was a, uh, there was a comment from Gary Danielson on the broadcast uh, with Brett Musburger on ABC um, that I noticed in rewatching this game where after one of Colorado's long first half runs, and there were several of them, he just said, where are the linebackers? So (laughs) it's like, I mean, well, they're on the bench. When you think about it, just from a, a, deployment standpoint you you add another lineman if you're sure that guy's good but if he's not that good which by the way he's not starting for you normally mm-hmm. there's a chance that this very good offensive line with these very good tight ends are going to be able to block that guy and then you got nothing if you have a good weak side linebacker who's that person is usually pretty fast they they get places they can they can avoid blocks not by overpowering people, but by being so fast that they can't be blocked. And Darlington goes through this in your story. Like he's sort of relitigating it in his mind. He's like, Oh, that guy probably would have made more plays than the extra D lineman. Yeah. And Nebraska had a young defensive coordinator um, at that point, Charlie McBride, the legendary D coordinator for Nebraska, who was with Osborne through his national championship years he retired after the 1999 season and, and, and that Fiesta Bowl went over Tennessee and Craig Bowl came in. Now the Wyoming coach had great success at North Dakota state. He came in, he was a Lincoln guy, you know, played at Nebraska in the seventies for Osborne and came in to take over the defense. He was the linebackers coach under, under McBride in the late years. And I think he was more influenced by guys like Darlington who had been around since the seventies to, uh, to be able to, to, you know, to make a change like this. Craig Bull was a young, a young coordinator at the time, and this was his second year. So he went along with, with what George wanted to do. I don't know that Charlie McBride would have been as on board with changing their defense in the 12th game of the year as Craig Bull was at that time. And does it make a difference? I don't know. Colorado was so good up front that they're going to score a lot of points, I think, against that Nebraska defense, no matter what the personnel was. But it made it easier, no doubt, for Colorado to run. Nebraska played right into their hands with that schematic change. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's set up the, the, the context of this game because I think you, you got to understand what's going on in the rest of the country. So Nebraska is number one in the BCS standings because of the computers. The humans have Miami number one. We all remember that Miami team. Anybody who watched college football that season knows how good they were. 17 first-round draft picks on the roster. I believe 38 wow. total draft picks on the roster. It was, it was insane. And so we knew Miami was going to play for the national title. We did not know who was going to play Miami. The assumption was it was going to be Nebraska as long as they beat Colorado and won the, the Big 12 championship game. So this is Black Friday. Now, remember... September 11th has moved some pretty critical games. Mm. So Florida, Tennessee is being played December 1st. So it's being played the next Saturday, the eight days after this game. Uh, as, as we would learn later, what also mattered, LSU-Auburn was being played December 1st to decide the SEC West. Now, only, people are only worried about the SEC East because this was Steve Spurrier's best Florida team. The assumption was Florida might be able to hang with Miami. So if Nebraska lost, Florida jumps in. Then Tennessee beat Florida in, in on December mm-hmm. 1st, and the assumption was Tennessee will play them. And meanwhile, you have Oregon over there going, wait, what about us? We've only got one loss. And that's the part of this game that I think gets forgotten, and you talked about this before we got on the show, how much... Nebraska getting into the national championship game, kind of backing in to the national championship game. This was the first. They didn't even win their own division. This was way yeah. before LSU-Alabama rematch and all that. But yes, Nebraska loses this game. Colorado wins the Big 12 North, but Nebraska still finishes number two in the BCS standings. Thank you, Nick Saban, for beating Tennessee. And thank you, Oklahoma State. Three win Oklahoma State for... Yes. The day, the Saturday after Black Friday, for beating Oklahoma, who Oklahoma would have been a solution for the BCS problems if it had beaten the Cowboys and then and then handled Colorado in the in the Big Twelve championship game. But the Sooners are knocked out because of their second loss, and then Colorado goes on to beat Texas, um, and that was avenging Colorado's only conference loss, which was a blowout earlier in the year. And if Colorado played in, in the, um, the Pigskin Classic, I believe it was, 
um, one of the kickoff classic, one of those mm-hmm. two, uh, or one of those early season games against Fresno right. State in Boulder back in August and lost 24, 22. And that second loss on the buffs resume was impossible to overcome with the computers. So the two loss Colorado team that beat Nebraska and beat Texas in the second go round in the conference championship game was left at home um, or left to play in the Fiesta bowl against Oregon, which Oregon Oregon was probably the most deserving team. Oregon finished fourth in the BCS right. standings that determined the national championship participants. And Oregon was probably the most deserving team, but it had to play Colorado and beat Colorado pretty badly in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Fun, funny story um, that I recounted in this in this piece from Gary Barnett, um, where Colorado got home on Saturday night from Texas after winning the Big 12 championship and had a team banquet on Sunday and the BCS standings are coming out Sunday midday. Right. Colorado is having its, its banquet um, that afternoon. And, you know, this is before everybody's got Twitter on their phones. So the players are unsure where they're going to go. Is it going to be Miami? They're hopeful that they're going to get a crack at Miami in the national championship. And the final BCS standings come out after the computers and the, and the, the human polls weigh in. And it's Nebraska who gets the number two spot by five one hundredths of a point over Colorado. So Barnett gets pulled out of the meeting. And Dave Platty, the, uh, the, the longtime Colorado sports information director, delivers the news to Barnett that the buffs are going to Tempe. And, and I think even more devastating than that, oh, it's Nebraska getting the, uh, getting the shot in the Rose Bowl against Miami. And Barnett had to go back in and tell his team that. And uh, uh, he said you could hear a pin drop in the room at that, that, at that moment. Oh, I, that, that had to be infuriating. And then, you know, Oregon, same thing when you find out you finished fourth. And mm-hmm. this is, it's, it's crazy because we have these arguments over and over about expanding the playoff. This was back then. The BCS is only three years old. And it was, it was already proving it needed to be scrapped. Uh, but the, the, mm-hmm. the lingering effects on Nebraska are, are what really, you know, that's what makes this game so important historically. And I, it wasn't just losing to Colorado. It was having to go play Miami. It was what happened against Miami. And then what happened next over the next few years uh, with Frank Solich? That, that's the part that, that amazes Because really, until that Colorado game, they were still Nebraska. It was still the Nebraska that... that us older folks grew up with that dominated everybody. And then it just wasn't the same anymore. Yeah, it happened. It happened overnight. It happened right there on that field in Boulder on that Friday afternoon. And I think if Nebraska had played another top five team in the postseason instead of the all time great Miami team, you know, Oregon probably would have beat Nebraska. Um, maybe there was somebody out there for one of those sec teams, you know, perhaps going to a sugar bowl would have been more yeah, fitting I mean, for Nebraska. We, and, we and know a Florida to, didn't, to, to get a win. didn't ever match up well against them, you know, right. Uh, L- if they'd have played LSU cause LSU earned the trip to the sugar bowl, like they'd have probably beaten that LSU team. And I think history would have been different. I think history would have been different. Oh, two, oh, three would have unfolded differently. The off season after oh, one would have been different if Nebraska could have put that Colorado game to rest by 
getting a nice win on a New Year's in a New Year's Day bowl. Um, instead, it gets to face Miami. And, you know, we knew Miami was good then. We didn't know Miami was that good then. <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't until the, the those players' careers played out in the NFL and you saw Frank Gore as, you know, it was like the third string running back on that Miami team. Um, and, and you saw Ed Reed. And, you know, so, uh, there was a play in that Miami game, and I talked about this with Crouch, where Jonathan Vilma um, almost decapitated a young Nebraska receiver who just had no business on the field with with, a, with, the, with that Miami defense. And I remember sitting there at the Rose Bowl and thinking, I, I hope this game ends without someone being taken to the hospital after that play. It was men against boys. And I think Miami was Miami was like waiting all year to get to play for the national championship. So, well, remember, remember, Miami thought day. they should have played for the national championship the year before the the Florida State Oklahoma game. Miami mm-hmm. thought they should have been in that game, and they they had an early loss, I believe, to Washington that that kept mm-hmm. them out. And I, I just I think it's 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 amazing how good that team was. And and for me, it's always it, it comes down to ninety five Nebraska, two thousand one Miami. Now I think. Yeah, we're going to as as we go through the years, 2019 LSU and maybe 2020 Alabama are probably going to get into that mix as well uh, to Mm -hmm. that discussion. But I just that team was a bunch of badasses. And I I, I don't think there's anybody who because I covered Tennessee that year and Tennessee's defensive line with with Albert Hainsworth and John Henderson was amazing. Uh, They had. Kelly Washington and Dante Stallworth at receiver and Jason Witten at tight end. So their, their targets were really good for Casey Clawson. But Tennessee would have stomped them. Florida had Rex Grossman and a bunch of good receivers and some really good athletes on defense. Miami would have stomped them too. Like, I, I don't know who could have beaten them. Yeah, I, I, it was uh, it was an incredible team. And, and um, the, the emotional toll that that took on Nebraska to play those two games at the end of the year, Colorado followed by Miami getting blown out twice. Um, Players questioned their training players questioned their physical condition, um, whether they were good enough to pursue NFL careers. Some guys changed their bodies on the Nebraska defense because of how good those two teams were offensively. And those were, were in, in some cases, ill-advised decisions that impacted Nebraska physically in 02. Um, more so, it gave other teams in the Big 12 hope that this 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 giant Nebraska program could be taken down, that there was, there was a formula out there, there was a way to do it um, that Colorado showed. And Nebraska went seven and seven in, in 2002. It lost to Oklahoma State. It lost games that Nebraska for the previous 30 years just did not lose. It was the first season without nine wins at Nebraska since the 60s. Um, the worst season since the early 60s as far as uh, winning percentage. And Frank Solich was forced to change his coaching staff after that 2002 season. He got rid of Craig Bowl. He got rid of George Darlington. The two offensive line coaches retired. The linebackers coach was fired. So 03 was a new coaching staff. 
and it was Frank Solich on the hottest of hot seats for our new athletic director, Steve Peterson. And despite nine wins in the 2003 season with Pelini, Bo Pelini making over that defense as the coordinator, that wasn't enough. And Solich got fired after a nine and three regular season and thus began the carousel of coaches at Nebraska that still has not stopped with well, Bill Callahan, Pelini, Mike Riley, uh, and now Scott Frost. Were they looking for an excuse to get rid of him at that point? Or was it, was it the way, because late in that season that two of their three losses came late in that season, they had a 31, seven loss to Texas and a, and a 38, nine loss to, to K state, a very good K state team, by the way, that, that beat Oklahoma yeah. in the, in the big 12 championship game. But you know, was that all it took at that point? Were they they ready to to make make that change? Yeah, the wheels were in motion. I think all through that 03 season, you know, from a very high level at Nebraska that went beyond even the athletic director to look for a reason to get rid of of Solich at that point. Um, Nebraska, you know, in its mind, had stooped to the lowest of lows that it could possibly achieve <laughs> by going seven oh, and seven. Gosh. In 02 and losing the way that it did twice at the end of the 01 season. Again, it's a different context. You're not looking at the 01 Miami team even then in this through the same lens that you do now or did five years See, that, after that, that that's, game. That's so strange to me because I think that's a that may be a, a, a geographic thing. Because where I where I was, I was in, living in Tennessee at the time, but obviously had lived in Florida most of my life. Like we knew that Miami team was the baddest team in the universe. Like everybody yeah. in the South knew that. Like it, it wasn't a surprise that, that they did that to anybody. Well, I think in t- in, until people in the other, in other parts of the country in, in the North in the big 12 saw guys like Ed Reed and, and Clinton Portis and Jeremy Shockey and, and others go on to uh, NFL stardom. I think until they saw that it was hard to grasp how great that Miami team was. And you knew it was good. I mean, they were undisputed national champs. You knew they were good, but there had been Nebraska. Nebraska had history with Miami, of course. They played them a bunch. Yeah. Right. And I think that 01 team was grouped in with teams from the 80s and 90s at Miami that were good, but weren't considered the greatest of all time. So it wasn't acceptable by any means for Nebraska to get blown out um, by that Miami team in the eyes of a lot of people in Nebraska, you know, some of whom were not football people. You're talking that, about like board yeah. of regents members. That's amazing to me because I've, I've never thought of it that way. I, I'd never even crossed my mind that losing to Miami like that would piss everybody off so much because I just assumed that everybody knew they were supposed to lose to Miami like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not in Nebraska, not, not at that point in Nebraska, Nebraska's last experience with Miami before that Oh one game was the 95 Orange Bowl after the 94 season. Right. And that's when Nebraska Corey finally- Schlesinger, uh, you know, slayed, baby, on the yeah, dive. Right, finally slayed the, slayed the dragon. You had these excruciating losses over the decade previous to that against Miami, You know, starting with the 83 season, the 31-30 game. And Nebraska finally, finally uh, slayed the dragon uh, 10 years later, 11 years later. So um, to, to, to take a step back in 01 and even go beyond- all of the embarrassments from the late '80s and early '90s against Miami—that was that was that was that was ironclad evidence that the Nebraska program was in decline. There was no consideration given, or very little consideration given, to where Miami was at the end of that year. That is so, so amazing. Um, like I, it, it's interesting because I'm not sure that would happen now because I think it's so much more of a national sport. 
Because mm-hmm. we're talking about a time when of split telecasts. Okay, so for for younger younger listeners, if in two thousand one, now two, I believe two thousand one was the first year that the SEC CBS game became a national game. That used to be a split telecast too. But in most other instances, if you lived on the East Coast, you would watch the Miami game. You'd get the Big East game. But if you lived in the Midwest or or the you know the heartland or Texas, you got the Big Twelve game, and very rarely were they on just national TV. You you, you had to that was a special occasion. So it could be that maybe just people didn't get to see as much of Miami to understand what they they might be dealing with. But that's that's interesting because I don't think that would happen now. Probably not. I think I had probably seen Miami play once that year uh, before the Rose Bowl, um, you know, as far as just like sitting down and watching a game, maybe Florida State. Um, so and, and I think that's that was that was fairly common. You know, everybody knew they were good, but not not on that level. And 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 that, and that you know, and, and that remained that uh, that perception remained for a few years and, and definitely impacted uh, Nebraska's decision process, or at least the momentum to get started, to get to get rid of Frank Solich. You know, that was evidence that he wasn't getting it done. And there was plenty going wrong with Frank yeah. Solich um, from in 02 and 03. Recruiting was slipping. Um, there were changes that were being made to the fabric of the program, um, which was inevitable. You know, Tom Osborne yeah. did the same thing when he took over from Bob Devaney. You know, he had to make the program. Uh, he had to put his stamp on it and he had to get get, uh, you know, change coaches and, you know, slowly transition away from the Devaney assistants to the Osborne assistants in the seventies. And there was just more patience for it at that time. And there were struggles that Nebraska had in the early years under Osborne. They, Nebraska could not beat Oklahoma for five or six years. And Frank Solich did not have the luxury of that same kind of patience, not to say that he would have become the next Osborne, but look at him now. He's still yeah. coaching. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. he's, he's, <laughs> he had a lot of, a lot of, uh, air left in the tires, uh, tread left on the tires for sure. Um, to, uh, you know, to take Nebraska, at least to, to take, to, to keep Nebraska on some kind of a nationally prominent level. Um, if, if it had made a different decision, I, 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 but we could write it. There could be well, another series on what might've happened if Frank Solich had stuck around, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors with threats to our nation waiting around every corner. Adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But here's here's my question for that one. Was it more the decision to fire Frank Solich or... The, the one that they made next to hire Bill Callahan that, that caused the downfall to, to become precipitous? Well, the guy who hired Bill Callahan, Steve Peterson, didn't know what he wanted to do when he made that decision to hire Frank Solich other than that he needed to fire Frank Solich. He was a, Never he was a good Osborne reason. guy. Right. He didn't have any. And, it, and if you remember... Uh, I know people in Nebraska remember it well. It was a 40-plus day coaching search. That was just a mess. 
um, bringing in people to the airport to show them around town, guys turning the job down. You had this um, New Year's Eve flight to uh, see Houston Nut um, in Arkansas, and there was a thought that they were going to get that done with him, and Peterson came back empty-handed. Um, I was the reporter who got sent out to this small airport in central Nebraska where, where Peterson believed that he was, he was flying in and out <laughs> of to hide, hide from the media. And I greeted him in the parking lot. I think it was on new year's Eve, uh, 2000, you know, in the end of the, oh the 2003, <laughs> uh, so crazy, crazy times. Uh, it was a mess and Bill Callahan was not on the radar to be hired as the next Nebraska coach. When Frank Solich was hired, he fell in Nebraska's lap because uh, he was out of a job with the Raiders and it wasn't, a, it was not good, you know, to, 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 to not, not to discredit Bill Callahan. The guy's a legendary no, he's, offensive he's the, line, the coach. best offensive line coaches in NFL history. But unfortunately for most people, he's the guy that followed Frank Solich and, and drove Nebraska football into the ground. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was, there were, there were steps in the wrong direction for Nebraska football under Bill Callahan that Nebraska has not been able to um, make amends for the way that uh, the team practiced um, the way that the roster was built. Um, you know, Scott Frost has a blueprint to correct some of those woes still 15 years later. Wow. And Nebraska's finding out that, it isn't as easy as going back to the Osborne Solich system. And I'm not having a conversation here about Nebraska saying and believing that it can win 12 games a year. I'm saying Nebraska wants to use the same formula that it had in those days to become a competitive program in the Big Ten. Which, and when is that nine not what games, Wisconsin does with, with the formula that Barry right. Alvarez created? Barry Alvarez took the Nebraska formula to Wisconsin. And of course he made changes and Wisconsin doesn't have 170 guys on the roster, but the formula is, has been Wisconsinized. It is when you look, when you look deep into it, it is what Nebraska did. And it came from Nebraska and Barry Alvarez who played at Nebraska um, and, and was a contemporary of Frank Solich. I mean, they were, they were teammates. Um, those guys, those guys cut their teeth together in the sport. So um, they became Nebraska, and Nebraska became something else entirely uh, under Bill Callahan and Pelini, and on to today. It's amazing. And in this case, because you know LSU, Tennessee, you saw the seeds for LSU becoming a national power. You saw the seeds for Tennessee having the decline, but it didn't happen. Just like that. This game, this Colorado-Nebraska game, it did happen just like that. It, 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 is, it is amazing to me that one game can do that much. But it really can. Yeah, and there's a debate. There's a debate about that even among Nebraska people from that era. You can read that in this, in this story. Darlington, the coach, the defensive coach from that time, had a completely different view when I asked him the question about what, what role that game played in dismantling the Nebraska dynasty. His view was entirely different than Eric Crouch's view, for instance. So um, 
you know, I, I, I tend to think that that was the start. That was, that was the first domino falling. Um, others believe differently. I think nationally and in Colorado, they, um, fall more on the side that yes, that was the day when we, we all got a glimpse of what was to come. And a bunch of people got really good deals and ate a bunch of leftovers. So happy, happy black Friday <laughs> to everyone. And I don't even bring up black Friday with Nebraska because that that's yet another sticky wicket that, that became a thing a few years ago. So, uh, it, it's just, it, it is amazing. And, and I, I, sorry, Nebraska fans that Mitch and I keep doing these podcasts, but it is utterly fascinating how all of this happened. It really is. And it'll feel that much better when, when, when you get it right. So thank you, Mitch. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. It's good to, good to, uh, relive this again. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not so sure the Nebraska fans feel that way, but thank you.